0: Hey, a quick note before we jump into this episode. Here at Leading Saints, we are trying to do more How I Lead interviews. Now, what's a How I Lead interview? You've probably heard them before. It's where we find everyday leaders around the world who are serving in one capacity or another, maybe an elders quorum president, Relief Society president, the ward mission leader, high counselor, stake presidency counselor, so many different callings of leadership that we have in our faith tradition. And we like to sit down with them one-to-one and just say, how is it that you lead? Give us a few principles. Put it into perspective. What's your area like? And these turn into phenomenal resources of best practices, and it's just always fun to hear what the other guy is doing. So if you know somebody who we could interview on the How I Lead segment, regardless of their calling, we would love to connect with them. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. And send us the information, maybe give them a heads up, and we'd love to reach out to them, connect, and see if we can get them on the Leading Saints podcast for one of our How I Lead segments. Again, go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us the information. So my name is Bea Woodwell. I'm from Pleasanton, California, and Leading Saints have been instrumental for me as I served as a Relief Society president. And also I'm definitely sharing this with my husband who's serving as a bishop now and so so grateful for this platform and for kurt and all the people that make this possible for us to refer to To so sometimes i feel i receive even inspiration to do certain things as i listen and as i search and and as i turn to my heavenly father and pray Hey, everybody. This is Kurt Frankum, the host of the Leading Saints podcast. I'm glad you're tuning in for another episode. I hope you're enjoying this content as much as I enjoy recording it, especially when I get to interview interesting, smart people. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, I must insert this explanation here. So if you're not new to Leading Saints, let's do this together. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation where we share different opinions perspectives research all in the context of being a latter-day saint leader and so it's a lot of fun you can check us out by subscribing to this podcast which all of you listening should have done that by now i can go to LeadingSaints.org, where we have thousands of articles from various authors sharing leadership thought we have virtual summits that uh, we do a few times a year and uh newsletter that goes out every week. You can subscribe to that and on and on. So we're glad you found us either way. And uh, be sure to thank the person who shared this with you and uh, be sure to pay it forward, right? Share it with some other people. So this episode, it's just me, folks, a solo episode. And I don't know if that scares you away or gets you excited, but what's happened here is, uh, like I mentioned, we have our weekly newsletter that goes out. And in that newsletter, I usually just share... A quick perspective, a quick thought, a quick observation about leadership in the context of being a Latter day Saint. And uh, sometimes I write something and I disagree with myself a week later, or vice versa, right? And I just put my thoughts out there. I sit down, whatever's on top of my mind, I share it. And uh, it's become quite a popular portion of uh, what we produce here at Leading Saints. And uh, I get some great feedback, you know, replies to those emails that gets me thinking on a deeper level. And many times I'll write, one message that I think was a one and done message. And then I'll get several people reply back and say, Well, I see it this way or that way. And I think, Ah, they're they're right. Or it makes me think on a deeper level about things. And it, sometimes that ends up to several weeks on that newsletter around a certain topic. And it blesses my life. I hope it blesses those that, that read it as well. And one of those topics that came to be that turned out to be a long thread, I think seven or eight uh, newsletters we're all dedicated to this topic of aspiring. Now, we've heard this a lot, right? You're not supposed to aspire to a calling and I mean it's been in our religious tradition for for decades, right? But what does that really mean? So I wanted to take all of those replies, the feedback, my thoughts, put them all together in one episode and let's just sit with this concept with aspiring and see if we truly understand it. And I'm going to share some opinions here that are obviously mine and You can take it or leave it, right? Like you can disagree with me. In fact, I would love it if you disagree with me. You can send me an email at leadingsaints.org slash contact and say, Kurt, you're so wrong. And let me tell you why. And that's great. My our hope here at Leading Saints is we never claim to be the end all or the all-knowing resource when it comes to leadership, but we just mainly create a a platform, an arena where we can come and discuss these ideas and disagree and and share different uh, research and perspectives and and out of that, we get a deeper understanding and deeper knowledge of these concepts. So let me go way back to where this idea of, of focusing on this concept of aspiring came from for the newsletter. You see, I was interviewing Gary Miller. If you haven't listened to the episode with Gary Miller, I implore you to uh, go back and listen to this episode. It's, uh, we'll link to it in the show notes so that's easy to find. But uh, Gary Miller is a former Baptist preacher who joined the church. I mean, talk about an intriguing narrative right there. And he tells about his conversion story, which is uh, inspiring and and interesting, and you can listen to it in that episode. But I was excited to interview Gary because I was thinking, wow, this is interesting. You know, here we have a guy who at some point in his life felt inspired, felt called to start a ministry, right? To start preaching and start a church as a Baptist preacher and nobody called him. There's no stake president equivalent in that church per se that calls calls him up and says, Gary, we'd like you to start a church and start preaching. No, this like, came from God. It came from his soul, and he stepped forward and did that. And now, several years after he started that church, he joins the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think, wow, this is such an interesting dynamic where before he was in a place where he could sort of raise his hand and say, "You know, let's do this. I'm going to start a church, and I'm going to make a difference. And now he's in a in a church where the cultural norm is nah, you don't just do that you can't just say i want to be the bishop right at least that's what the culture wants us to think and then uh, juxtapose that story with another conversation i had with a close friend now this close friend recently retired and he's not as old as most retirees are uh, he's had a lot of success and sold some companies and suddenly had more money than he knew to deal with and he was retired at a younger than normal age and, you know, in our casual conversation, I was just asking him, so what are you going to do now? I mean, you sort of, you've hit it. I mean, you don't have to worry about money the rest of your life. I mean, what are you going to do, right? And he sort of uh, jokingly said with a smirk on his face, you know, it's weird. I sort of want to start a church. Now, this is a very faithful Latter-day Saint, and he knew very much so that that would probably be inappropriate, right? To start a church and and expect to be able to continue in our church, right? That, Seem doesn't seem to jive. So, he, he laughed about it, but he just had this deeper sense of like, man, I have this this time, I have this ability, I could really do more. And man, if I could start a church, I could really have, have an impact there on some souls, right? And obviously, he's not, it was more of a joke than anything. But it n- nonetheless caused me to think, well, this is an interesting dynamic. Here we have Gary who came from a Culture where that was almost applauded that, like, oh, Gary, great job. You're starting a church. And then my friend here, who is in our religious culture, who is like, well, you can't, one, you can't go starting a church. And, you know, I'm not going to argue against that. And two, you can't just raise your hand and say, I want to be bishop because I have some extra time. Right. And so this really pushed me into this thought of aspiring. Like, why does aspiring have such a negative connotation in our religious culture? And so as I started writing in the newsletter about this concept of aspiring, I was shocked. Well, not necessarily shocked, at, but it was interesting nonetheless to see how many people responded to that email. As I talked about, uh, you know, my friend Gary and my other friend, how many people responded saying, I've had the same feeling. I feel like I could do more. I could give more. But I sort of also felt guilty for having that feeling because I felt like I was aspiring to a calling or aspiring to something that I wasn't supposed to do. So let's jump into this and really break this down. Is it okay for someone to desire a calling to lead or in other words is it okay for someone to aspire? And the, like I mentioned there there's a negative connotation with this with this concept of aspiring and it really comes from decades of of this thought being perpetuated and it comes from some various quotes from general authorities and apostles and prophets who've sort of uh, Uh, wanted us to to be clear that it is not appropriate to aspire. Let me just read through some of them. 1985, Elder Ballard, no young man should aspire to a calling. From the learning and serving in the church manual, members should not aspire to a particular calling. Elder Packer, 1999, but one does not exactly volunteer or aspire to be bishop. Elder Uchtdorf, 2008, I guess he was president of Uchtdorf at the time. May we cease to aspire and cease to retire. Elder Packer, 1997, it is not in the proper spirit of us to decide where we will serve or where we will not. Elder Packer, 1996, I learned years ago that we do not choose where we serve, just answer the call. So we have, and there's some scriptures out there as well that that lean towards this, this idea that, you know, it's not our place to aspire or try to, you know, volunteer or step into a calling without being called of God. But on the other hand, there's some scriptures that sort of push us the other way, that we're encouraged to aspire to do a good work. Like in Doctor of Covenants 11, you need not suppose that you're called to preach until you're called. Uh, Doctor of Covenants 4, if you desire to serve God, you're called to the work. So where's the line that we draw here? Where do we cross the line of inappropriate aspiring as opposed to simply wanting to be engaged in a good work and, and engaged in the gospel and, and leading or influencing others in the gospel simply because you want to be engaged there? So what I did is I laid out this hypothetical situation in one of my newsletters, and I'll present it to you here to see what you think. So this is what I did, and then I did a quick little survey in other online forums and on Facebook and whatnot. So here's the hypothetical situation. A worthy priesthood holder, let's call him Harry, hears that his bishop is being transferred to another state for his job and will soon be released as bishop. Harry has always been intrigued by the role of bishop and sees it as an opportunity to make a difference in his ward and serve more, even though it is a very demanding calling. He then contacts a stake president, either by phone, email, or a formal meeting, and requests that his name be highly considered to replace the bishop. And then, so there's a hypothetical situation that I ask. considering your Latter-day Saint experience, which of the outcomes below would most likely result because of Harry's open desire to become the next bishop? I said option one, or outcome one, Harry would be less likely to be considered to be the next bishop. Outcome two, Harry would be more likely to be considered to be the next bishop. Or outcome three, Harry's likelihood would be unchanged to be considered to be the next bishop. Now, the results of this is 70% of people, the vast majority, said Harry would be less likely to be considered, right? 26% said he'd be more likely, and 4% said. It would be unchanged. So this is evidence that this dynamic exists. Like there's something that Harry's stepping out of bounds here for some reason, right? He can't just put his name in the ring to be to be considered. Like that's aspiring, and he shouldn't do that. And and because he's done that, it should be evidence to that priesthood leader that he should not be considered. That he should be less likely to be considered. So I want my invitation to the listening audience now is sit with this and say why? Why should Harry? Be less likely to be considered. So, as I uh, started this conversation, I got various emails back, and some of my own perspective goes into this as uh, why this, why is this desire inappropriate or less likely? Why is Harry less likely to be called as Bishop? And the number one thing people come back and say, and which I agree to some extent, is when you aspire, it's a form of pride, right? It's a, a hunger for power. <laughs> And you shouldn't have a hunger for power because that's unrighteous dominion or could lead to unrighteous dominion. And just the fact that you want it, there's that is evidence of pride. But is it? Now, I, I would agree in some aspects. I mean, just look at the political landscape across the world, not just in the United States. I mean, politics is, oh, I mean, talk about pride and hunger for power. I don't care what side of the aisle or what party you're in. Like, this is overwhelmingly evident. I mean... I have a deep passion for leadership and making a, making an impact and a difference in the world. <laughs> I don't think you could pay me to run for politics, even local politics, which is probably, I probably maybe should check myself because I'm probably limiting my influence in that way. But I mean, politics is, is just the, the dumpster fire of leadership, right? And a lot of that is because of the pride. And we somehow, we, obviously, we don't want that level of pride and power hunger to uh, creep up in the religious context, especially in the restored gospel. So if it is about pride, if we tell people not to aspire, is it really scaring away the prideful? Okay, so let's say there are people out there who are hungry for the pride and they're hungry for the power. By reinforcing this idea that it's inappropriate to aspire or desire a calling, is that scaring the prideful away? or? Is it more likely to scare away the capable than the prideful? And that's, and I'm going to talk about some un- unintended consequences of, of this cultural norm. But when we think that we're scaring away the prideful by saying aspiring is bad, we're actually scaring away the most capable of stepping forward and offering their gifts and talents that they've been blessed with. Okay. And we'll get into that. So here's the question then if, if it is a, a concept of pride, if aspiring to a calling, stepping forward, If if stepping forward and saying, I want to lead is simply and 100% a form of pride, let me ask you this question Who was the first person to ever aspire to a calling? Who was the first person to ever aspire to a calling? You see, when we only see aspiring as rooted in pride, we fail to see the blessings brought to pass by people willing to aspire for the right reasons. Before this mortality began, The great prince of darkness, right? Lucifer aspired by speaking the words, here am I, send me, right? Was he the first person to aspire to a calling saying, give it to me, give me the glory. I want to redeem mankind. No, he was the second person to aspire to a calling. The first person was the savior, Jesus Christ. The reason why Lucifer used the words, here am I, here am I, send me, He did that because Christ used them first. He used the words because our true Savior used them first. It was the act of wrapping those words in pride, the hunger for glory, that made Lucifer's statement evil. But on the flip side, we are all eternally grateful that the great Jehovah was the first person to aspire. His aspirational statement, or here am I, send me, was not rooted in pride but it was rooted in his eternal love for all of us. This is a true example of leadership that I hope we can find often in our religious communities. The individuals don't feel this negative connotation holding them back from saying, here am I, I can make a difference. Let me do it. Give me a shot, right? So maybe aspiring isn't all about pride. Maybe there is a way to aspire to bless the kingdom of God and still give the glory to the Almighty God. Now, uh, Truman Matson gave a remarkable, and we'll link to this in the show notes, he gave a remarkable talk about, jo- I mean, Joseph Smith. I mean, he gave several remarkable talks about Joseph Smith. But one quote he uh, gave in some of his lectures, he said this, and he's quoting Joseph Smith, but he says, uh, Truman Madsen said, Now, one of the strongest and wisest statements I have ever heard on egoism, the question was put to him, Joseph, is the principle of self-aggrandizement wrong? Should we seek our own good? And then this is how Joseph Smith responded. It is a correct principle, referring to self-aggrandizement, and may be indulged upon only one rule or plan, and that is to elevate, benefit, and bless others first. If you will elevate others, the very work itself will exalt you. Upon no other plan can a man justly and permanently aggrandize himself. So this is interesting, right, that this self-aggrandizement is actually it could be appropriate as long as you are elevating benefiting and blessing others first right again removing that pride component from it then it is appropriate and you think about this this mortal journey we're we're on we're actually in a in, in a, a position to exalt ourselves right not you know obviously through jesus christ but our intention is to exalt ourselves like our father to become more like our father in heaven right and so that that but the only way to do that appropriately is through the elevation and the benefit and the blessing of others first. So is the desire of aspiring inappropriate? Is it just only pride? No, like there is several examples, much like the Savior, and this quote adds to it by Joseph Smith, that as long as we have set that pride aside and we have full intention of blessing the lives of others, then, then there's a place for it. All right, but what about, it, it distracts revelation, right? Going back to this uh, Harry wants to be bishop example, this I got a great email that, that that helped me think this through from James and James, you know who you are. Bless your heart. It says Kurt, I have served as a state clerk for the past sixteen years for two different stake presidents. I have been involved with the calling of probably thirty to forty bishops or branch presidents and many, many additional leaders over the same time period. The one thought I had in reading your hypothetical situation about Harry is that a person asking to have their name put into any leadership position is trying to take, Lord out of the equation, especially in regards to a bishop. We believe that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is leading his church. Presuming to throw our hat in the ring takes receiving revelation from the Lord out of the picture and assumes that we know more about what the needs of our wards, branches, and stakes are than the Lord does. The Lord knows what a particular ward needs. He knows the type of person that he will be able to mold to fit that need. Often, and maybe even most of the time, it is not that person who exhibits great leadership qualities, can move mountains, or is a magnet for the youth of the ward. It may just be that small and simple thing or person who is willing to listen to the Lord and become the leader of the ward in the way that the Lord wants. So shout out to James for, for saying that. Because G- it is it does make sense that yeah, we don't want to interfere this uh this in- inspired process of praying and seeking and understanding. Uh, the the will of the lord however i think we sometimes oversimplify this process to think that regardless of what the decision a leader makes that it's going to be the it's going to 100% be the same decision because it's the 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 lord's will right it's the uh, chalkboard in heaven fallacy that there is a one particular name that the lord wants and that stake president will receive that name regardless of who he is or the influences in life but the reality is is that the stake president is leading not only according to revelation, but personal insight and experience, and and his really his own biases at times, right? And that is part of the messiness of that inspirational process, right? So I agree that yeah, we don't necessarily want to just you know have take uh, take applications and 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 have people submit their name and and whatnot because that can distract this process. But if a leader walks into this you know calling of a leader like a state president does. With the full intention of and desire to follow the Lord's will, I don't necessarily think it's an issue that a person notifies that stake president, says, hey, I've got time, I have the ability. If you'd like me, you can have me, just so you know, right? Because there's many times, I remember these on my own in my own ex- leadership experience, where I had misconceptions about circumstances or abilities and whatnot of certain people leading, and therefore, I didn't even consider them in my mind. So this may help, you know, information leads to inspiration. This could possibly help a leader to do that. But I I definitely want to respect and and keep that respect planted for the inspirational process that happens in the calling of leaders, right? And by the way, the scripture I reference about this concept of inspiration isn't just messages from heaven, but it actually is a combined of personal insights and biases and whatnot. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 128 verse 9 sort of talks about this, that, revelation comes from heaven, but also sometimes revelation goes to heaven, right? It's something we create, and then it's stamped with with the approval of, of revelation on its way to heaven. But just looking at this dynamic of like putting your hat in the ring, like this actually happens all the time, just with other callings, right? For example, a full-time missionary, you, obviously, we we want all young men and women to some extent to aspire to that role, right? I want to, I hope they call me on a mission, right? Like we've from a young age, we've wanted them to aspire to that role and calling, right? Or to me, it would be much less of a uh, of a cultural taboo for someone to meet with the bishop or maybe the bishop stopping by for a visit and them just saying, you know, what, Bishop, I really enjoy working with the youth. If there's ever an opportunity for, you know, if you're ever looking for someone to serve with the youth, uh, maybe consider my name, pray about my name, right? Again, it's not that person is saying, you better call me or not, but that is, or a gospel doctrine teacher. Hey, I love to teach. If uh, you need someone to step in and, and be that, maybe consider my name, right? I don't think that would be as taboo as somebody saying, well, I'd like to be bishop. So why is it taboo? Because of the bishop. Why is it some callings fall into this cultural norm that aspiring is wrong, but others it does not? Okay, so reviewing some of these common, this common feedback of why is aspiring inappropriate. Some say it's it's a form of pride, and hopefully, I've talked this through that maybe it's not always about pride, and there's some there's some wiggle room there, and it's distracting. The second one is maybe it's distracting the revelation; it, it interferes with the call of God process, which could be the case, right? The third one is there is something wrong with you if you want to lead. Why would anybody want to lead? Right. There's that's sort of a cultural norm that, like, why would you ever want to be a bishop? And believe me, as someone who's served as a bishop, I understand it's a heavy calling, there's a lot of responsibilities, it's stressful, you lose sleep, and on and on. So why why would anybody even want that calling or want a leadership calling? It's just gonna add more to their plate. Well, according in First Timothy three, one, that says if a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work, right? Like there there that is a phenomenal work. And I'll talk a little bit more about this that it is a remarkable work. Like, yeah, my time as a bishop was taxing and grueling and difficult. And man, life sure became more simple once I was released. But it was phenomenal. Like, I literally sat across the desk watching the Savior transform people's lives. Like, it was remarkable. That's just one of many of the miracles I witnessed on a constant basis. Right. But here's this. Uh, l- let me let me take it in a different direction with this. Of, of why would anybody want to lead? Well. There's this, uh, some, there's this organizational dissonance that's uh, crept up in our culture. The the purpose of the church, of the restored gospel, is remarkable. I mean, can we just all agree on that? Like stepping back and looking at what the church is trying to do or what God is trying to do through the church, I mean, that is remarkable. When you consider the ordinances, when you consider the, the saving, when you consider the connecting people to the grace of Christ, like, okay, that's phenomenal, right? This is my work and the glo- my glory to bring to pass the eternal life. This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. Like, okay, you win the eternal reward for best mission statement. Okay, it is phenomenal. Now, naturally, a remarkable mission, a dynamic vision will naturally produce grand engagement or the desire to be involved there. When I see a mission that speaks to my soul like God's mission does, okay, wh- like where do I need, where, where do I sign up? How can I be more involved? can i work weekends like what more can i do to make sure this vision comes to pass right but we have this organizational dissonance when we speak of this grand vision but we also sort of diminish the the desire to be involved in it or lead on a grander scale say no 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 you're doing it wrong now let's get back to this remarkable vision you're like yeah i know it's remarkable so i want to be more involved right and it's tough when we are you know we're the early teenagers of our life sort of is crescendoing towards a mission. I don't know if that's the right use of that word, but you know, there's this pinnacle moment of serving a mission and we get to serve a mission. And it's like two years of like dedicated focus purpose on this great mission. And then you get home and like, okay, now don't, don't act like you really want to be a part of this. Just uh, show up on Sundays and accept a call as it comes, but don't act like you actually want it. Right? See, there's a dissonance there because the mission is so grand then the engagement or the desire to be part of it's going to be grand as well. So we, we may naturally think, well, there's something wrong if a person wants to lead. And like, no, there's not because this is a grand vision. This is a, ground, a grand mission to be a part of. Now, in this discussion, and this came up through various emails I received, this common response of, you know, listen, hey, leadership callings aren't, not, aren't just for leaders only. Just live where you stand. Magnify your calling. Your fear friend who's now retired from work has more time, Maybe he should go on a, a mission. Maybe he should serve in the temple, right? And I completely agree with that. And that's, uh, probably mentioned this a little, but that's maybe a whole different podcast of, that could be highlighted on, on listen, like we need to find influence wherever we stand, regardless of what calling we, we have, we need to find it. And that's one thing, if there's one thing I learned from my time serving as a bishop, it is, huh, like I've, I had a lot of influence, but I actually can have the same level of influence even with no calling, as I had with a calling as a bishop. But there's a reason why we can't just take that answer and be happy with it, right? Like, hey, just magnify your calling and stop the fuss about wanting to be more involved. Or that desire to be more involved is coming from the devil, right? So stop doing that. It's actually not. So I wholeheartedly embrace that concept that, yes, we can magnify our calling, and we should, regardless of where we are, and we can even have the same influence. However, we also need to recognize that formal leadership roles, it sure does it simplify the process of discipleship. When I was a bishop, it was much easier for me to fall out of bed and have a list of things I can do to feel like a disciple and to find sanctifying experiences, right? When I'm meeting with people on a constant basis about their life problems and seeking revelation and drawn towards my scriptures, and I mean, a lot of things become easier. Scripture study becomes easier, Service, getting out and doing visits, all these things become easier, and I think we need to recognize that. Now, I'm not saying we should all desire formal leadership, but it is a dynamic that is tempting because these service opportunities are oftentimes served you on a on a platter, saying, "Here it is, you know what to do, go do it." And then you're not a bishop, or you're not a release site president, or you're not in these formal leadership roles, and it's much harder to figure out what it is you can do. It takes a lot more work. You should still do it, and it's no excuse, but we need to recognize that. Though you can magnify your calling elsewhere, it does become a lot easier when you're in a formal leadership role. Okay. So there are three common responses of why aspiring to a calling is inappropriate. Now, whether I agree with them or disagree with them, hopefully it's been thought provoking. And this is no attempt to, I'm not trying to like disagree with prophets or apostles or I'm just having the discussion, right? And again, I could be completely wrong, right? So don't get taken out from this discussion because you misinterpret my intent, this is a, a wrestle worth having and questions worth sitting with. And regardless, even if you come to completely opposite conclusions as I do. Now, in our effort of sort of uh, placing this aspiring into it and th- the column of negative connotations, like let's just avoid that. Let's not do that. In our attempt to do that as a culture, there's actually several unintended consequences that i like to go through now. Number one is the leadership dynamic. And the way it's approached now can naturally create pedestals. Now, we are taught, obviously, that we should be very careful in seeking glory for ourselves. But I also believe that means we should be very careful in giving glory to others, putting them on a pedestal, making them feel that there's something special about you that outranks us or puts you on a different level. We have to be very careful on that because it's still a transaction of glory. Even though we're not seeking it for ourselves, we're sort of doing the other thing when we Give it to others. And as we give glory to others, putting them on pedestals, saying there's something special about this person that put them here, we actually create a negative impact in our culture because it creates a chosen one dynamic, right? Now, a chosen one, sure, many are called, but few are chosen type of thing, right? There are people who are chosen for these roles, but that doesn't mean that they're chosen because they're special. And the adversary can use that, can leverage that, that, oh, this person. Is somehow been ranked to this pedestal, and he's special. There's something, there's a deficit there between you and him. You must be broken, right? Now, with good intentions, we perpetuate pedestals on many levels. And again, these, (laughs) I'm approaching some sacred cows here, folks, so just be patient with me and know you have the full right to disagree with me. But examples of this is using many titles like bishop, president, elder, even long past the time of their release, right? And it's interesting now that I've moved from the ward or the stake where I was a bishop, I never get called bishop. However, if I were to stay in that stake, I probably would have been continued to call bishop. And yes, we know once a bishop, always a bishop. But does that mean we constantly call him that, right? So that's just an example of whether it's good or bad, whether it should be there or not. That's just an example. Also, we recognize the presence of leaders at the beginning of meetings. Now, this is something that comes from the handbook. I'm not saying that we should do away with it or that you're wrong for doing it but it does unintentionally perpetuate pedestals. We give some physical offices. Again, I think every bishop should have an office, but just this prestige of having an office that that naturally creates a pedestal. We alter entire meeting agendas to hear them speak when they are called, right? These I call calling testimonies when a new bishopric is put in or stake presidency or release presidency and we sort of clear the meeting schedule and say we will now hear these testimonies from people who've just been called. Again, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, I'm not saying get rid of it, but it does perpetuate pedestals. We introduce speakers by listing past leadership callings that they have held, right? As if this is an accomplishment or a degree, whether we keep it or not, whatever, but it does perpetuate pedestals. Now, I want to highlight and recognize that these pedestals that unintendedly, whether they're unintentional or not, they're created, it is more... Um, it can be more difficult for certain demographics compared to others so let me read to you and this i'm referring to like sisters who maybe don't have as many opportunities to be in leadership roles or individuals who are outside the same 10 people dynamic the people who aren't typically called or, or typically considered it can it can feel a, the sting can be more intense for those individuals because they they've kind of feel like they've been classified into a certain group that's maybe not as chosen as others. So let me read this uh, email from a sister about this, about this uh, dynamic from the perspective of a sister. I've been enjoying this series on influence and especially a conversation you had with Gary Miller on the podcast. I have had similar thoughts, feelings, and struggles about aspiring as someone who loves an opportunity to speak, teach, and lead any chance I get. I'm also a woman. Which interestingly adds another dynamic to my leadership struggle in the church because I will never be called to be a bishop, stake president, or otherwise, though I would love the opportunity under different circumstances. I'm also a mother, which means the majority of my influence is spent with little people who don't appreciate it, and I have very little time to create influence or develop my skills for influence elsewhere. Maybe you can begin to see how this struggle multiplies in womanhood. Additionally, I've applied to the seminary and institute program because I am a qualified public school teacher, thinking that I could have the desired influence with students. But alas, because that opportunity is given via inspiration, much like a calling, that didn't work out either. I remember listening to a conference talk not many years ago where the speaker invited us to be ambitious for Christ. I nearly fell out of my chair. That's it. That's exactly how I would describe my feeling. I just want to be ambitious for Christ. But honestly, that's not very easy when they stick you in nursery. I never say no to a calling and I try to magnify each one, but I'm just trying not to sugarcoat this, okay? I didn't start out writing this email to tell you all this, nor did I begin writing with strong emotion, but it's frankly difficult not to feel some bitterness and discouragement. It's easy to choose to disengage so that the painful feeling will go away. Having said all that, I felt encouraged this morning by section four of Doctrine and Covenants, where the Lord himself reminded me that if I have desire to serve God, then I am called to the work and that faith, hope, charity, and love with an eye single to the glory of God, qualify me for the work. And then simply ask and ye shall receive, knock and it shall be open unto you. If the field is white already to harvest, there ought to be room enough for all of us in it. So then for me, the answer is clear. Don't allow the adversary to tell me that my influence doesn't matter. Instead, ask God and he'll show me where to go to work. So I want to highlight that I recognize and I don't understand the unique dynamic that comes to the women in the church or to those who've gone through official church restriction, right? That after a certain point, you're not necessarily considered that or individuals who've shared their their same-sex attraction and... Though they have never acted on it or done anything out of the ordinary, sometimes we put them in a different category, and I hope that we can get away from that. And I'm sure there's several other demographics and things I'm not mentioning here, but I want to highlight, highlight the fact that this this hits harder to, for some people compared to others. So the one unintended consequence of this dynamic of aspiring is it unintentionally creates pedestals. The second one, it leads to individuals seeking personal validation. Let me read an email I got from David. He said, I I thought I was the only person in the world to feel this way. And he's referring to feeling as a desire to lead or a desire for calling in leadership. From time to time, I feel this way and then feel guilty for thinking of desiring this calling and then briefly feel mildly disappointed when instead of being called as the bishop, I get called as the counselor in the bishopric. I've just been called as a counselor in the bishopric for the fourth time and I'm only in my 50s. I've also been in a stake presidency, member of the High Council, and held just about every male calling except as bishop. Sometimes, deep down, I wish I'd have the opportunity to lead and sometimes wonder why that one calling has never been extended. I'm general counsel for a large organization and certainly believe I've got the temporal qualities for such a leadership position. Sometimes, however, I worry that I'm not accepted spiritually by Heavenly Father for such a calling. But when I've felt this way at times throughout my life, through service, prayer, and time, I lose myself in my family, job, and calling. And don't worry about it until the next time the adversary tells me I've once again been passed up. Bottom line, as a counselor, I'm happy to take care of the more temporal aspects of ward leadership, allowing the bishop to be the spiritual leader. It's just that I've been blessed with many wonderful life and spiritual experiences that I think I could draw from to help people if I was tasked to help shepherd them to Christ. Plus, I've had bishops tell me that they never felt as close to the Savior as they did while serving as a bishop. Yes, I would second second that. I don't long for glory of people. I get that a little bit through my job. I just want that experience with the Savior. I've never told anyone this, not even my best friend or wife. Man, that last line, that's the end of the email, that last line hit me. I haven't told anyone this. I haven't shared this desire with anyone. Can you see sometimes the shame that comes up in that, right? Here's a good man who has pure intentions. I didn't feel any pride or this desire for power. He's like, man, I just have all these skills and talents. I just wonder what I could do with them in that context. And again, he, he highlighted there that he's still engaging outside of that calling and he's not waiting around for that calling to to be extended to him in order for him to to leverage those talents. But if it is this great calling, if it is so close to the Savior, nobody should feel bad desiring it. So again, the unintended consequences of this uh, putting, aspiring in a negative light is we accidentally seek personal validation through these callings, right? The reality is we all wonder. I love John Eldridge's writing about this. Every man is born with a question, and you can group women into this, do I have what it takes? If the responsibility was set before me, could I measure up? Am I that person, right? Since the time we've been trying out for the soccer team in Little League or standing up against the wall for dodgeball to be picked on which dodgeball team, we've often wondered, do I have what it takes to be called first, to be the one that's called upon to, to step up and lead? Would I have what it takes? and we often seek when maybe those callings do we think oh well there you see of course i have what it takes because god called me right when in reality the only person who can personally validate us is god not our calling and he doesn't validate us through our calling he loves each of us individually but again naturally when we when we have this dynamic of aspiring or callings and things it perpetuates this this personal validation it feels validating the third unintended consequence is We unintentionally disenfranchise the most capable. And I feel like my friend, as I was uh, sending these newsletters out, I had a friend contact me and I think he put it in, in great words. So I'll read those words here. This is a pervasive phenomenon in the church that limits its power at the local level. It causes those who have initiative and who are currently in leadership positions to feel disempowered. It causes those who have initiative and who are not currently in leadership positions to feel disenfranchised. And it causes bishops to feel isolated. What is this pervasive phenomenon? It's a culture of fear. Fear is the primary reason that members who have initiative don't rise to their potential. Fear is the primary reason bishops and other leaders don't empower the members who have initiative. True, many members lack initiative, but so many others have it, yet so many of them are underperforming. Why do those who have initiative hold back? They're afraid they'll overstep their bounds, so they comply with bounds set by culture, not set by doctrine or policy. Meanwhile, bishops reinforce those artificial boundaries because they're also scared. They fear the people will either fail to meet their expectations or they will overreach. And in either case, the bishops don't want to have to clean up the mess. A culture of fear, then, is spoiling the potential of the local church. And the most important thing any of us in the local church can do to further this mission and reach is to learn to transcend or transform the culture of fear, to liberate and empower the members who have initiative, close quote. So we accidentally disenfranchise those that are most capable, those with skills that we might not be aware of, right? The person hiding there, (laughs) I don't know why my mind went here, but the person who plays the piano. But doesn't necessarily let people know that they play the piano because then they'll be called to certain callings, right? But we do the same thing. Someone may have exceptional experience or talent and they're afraid to step out in other contexts outside of leadership roles because they don't want to come across as if they're aspiring to a certain role. So they step back, they shrink. And the fourth unintended consequence of this dynamic of aspiring, of putting aspiring in a negative light is we accidentally diminish our God-given desire for purpose and influence. The reality is the emails I got from people saying, I felt this way my whole life. I've desired that position and I felt bad about it. It's not that they're inherently prideful or evil, but they simply want influence. They want to make an impact. I love one of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So why do many of us have this natural desire to want to lead, to make a difference, to to lead the Calvary into the greatest battles? Because we are God's workmanship. He makes the best of the best. We are his offspring. God is remarkable, so therefore we are naturally remarkable. We naturally want to lead because God leads. So we should never feel bad for this feeling of wanting to step forward and lead because you're a child of God. You were made for that purpose. And as it says in Ephesians, that we were ordained for that, and we should walk into that purpose, right? The reality is, man, just a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with somebody, and this person said, you know, it's been about 15 or 20 years where I've even been in a ward council. I haven't even had a seat at the table, right? And again, it's not that they want this the prestige or the pride or the, the power of the calling, but they want a seat at the table to make a difference in the remarkable work that we're all engaged in. And when we don't have those roles, we don't get a seat at the table. We don't get to share our opinion. And so naturally, we would desire those roles so that our opinion could count. Our perspective could be included. Okay, true. It may be inappropriate to seek out or ask for a specific calling of influence, But it is even more inappropriate to shrink away from influence, to pretend that we don't want it. We can reconcile the fact that we desire influence, and in fact, that is a righteous desire. We can reconcile that without feeling like we are less than or prideful or there's something wrong with us. These are natural desires. Influence is in our nature. We all aspire because we all desire influence. We all desire influence because we all desire purpose. We need something that gets us out of bed in the morning. We need something that helps us sleep at night. You may avoid influence in your local ward because of the cultural taboo of aspiring, but you are aspiring to influence somewhere in your life, whether it's work, family, or community. You're aspiring, and that's okay because it's in your nature. You are God's workmanship. You are meant to make a difference. And that includes aspiring, so you can make a difference. You know, I think it's one of the great tragedies that, that this dynamic sometimes creates, this negative connotation of aspiring in our culture, is that many individuals feel like, well, I have all these all this capability and talents and gifts, and man, if I if I lead out with that too much in my ward, it's going to feel like I'm ins- aspiring. So you know what? I'm going to just find another arena to take it to, right? I'm going to find somewhere else to manifest that that influence, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And people do it all the time, right? But oh, have we missed something by this negative connotation of aspiring? Have we forced people to take their talents elsewhere and to invest it in a different mission and purpose? Like I said, one of the greatest lessons I learned as, as being a bishop was I realized everybody had the opportunity of influence as, as, as I did as the bishop, right? It just became, it was easier to influence as a bishop, Right. So naturally, we all desire things that are easier when it comes to influence. And as I step into, I'm in a new ward now. I demand influence. Now that doesn't mean I'm sitting outside the state president's office saying, hey, you know, when that big calling comes up, consider me, I'm up for the job. No, I'm stepping into this ward saying, I will influence for good, for the benefit of others, for the blessings of others' lives, regardless of where I am called or asked to serve, right? And that requires me. I can't just suddenly step in and act like the bishop and say, hey, just so you know, Brother Frank, I'm over here, is taking appointments if someone needs personal counseling, right? No, that would be out of my, that would be inappropriate, right? You have to recognize the boundaries. You have to recognize the vision that the formal leaders have set. But within the parameters of that vision and purpose, you can have remarkable influence. And there's nothing wrong with desiring influence, And that's coming from a guy who created leading saints, right? With the help of many others and our donors and things, I don't mean to take all the credit and I'm not, this isn't some glory statement, but I demanded that my life is full of influence because I am God's workmanship. I will make a difference in this world. And that's just led me through much prayer and direction from God to this stage we call leading saints. It's influence nonetheless, and there's nothing wrong with desiring it. It can get out of out of whack, right? The pride can creep in. Let's recognize that. But I'm not going to shrink because there's a chance that pride can take over. I'm going to do my best to keep that in check and be open to feedback and understanding and then have an influence so that we can glorify God because we are God's creation. When we do good things, God gets the glory because he made us. All right. As I wrap up here, I just want to make some observations or some, I want to share some ideas that maybe you could consider. Regardless of where you are in the world, these aren't things that, again, this isn't some petition for the church to say to change policy or, again, there's nothing wrong with the policy or the handbooks or anything that's in place. It's the culture that we're trying to to analyze, dissect, understand, and see how we can improve it because culture doesn't come from handbooks. It comes from communities. It comes from groups of individuals. So here's just a few things, some recommendations, some thoughts and ideas to consider to maybe shift away from these negative unintended consequences of this the negative connotation of aspiring one i hope that every leader everywhere liberates the capable by encouraging influence and letting them letting them do what they do everybody brings something to the table even when they're not in formal leadership roles right and we should encourage that let me give you an example just moved into a ward i'm not uh, this is a uh, I'm not expecting any calling anytime soon. This is a growing ward. Lots of people are moving in. There's a lot of names to consider. But again, I demand influence. I will have an influence here, right? So this is what I do. I email my bishop. I said, "Hey bishop, I do a podcast for my job, and uh, I did, did this another ward. I think it's something we should try. I would like to go around and interview people in the ward and record their their living history so that they can have it for their family history." And uh, we can share it with the ward, get to know each other, hear each other's stories. It will unify the ward that way. And I was very clear in saying, this isn't going to add one more thing to your plate. I'll handle it. I just need your endorsement to you know, make sure I'm in the boundaries of that and I'll handle the rest. I'll make it happen, right? I created a, an opportunity to use my skills and talents to maybe enhance and, and unify the ward, right? So the more we can perpetuate that, the more a leader can stand and say, I want everybody to consider their talents and abilities. How can you give it to the, the ward? What does that look like? You like uh, organizing stuff. You do crafts. What what is it? What do you bring to this ward table that we consider? Now this you got to be very careful because you don't want to over overwhelm you know the the ward council with all these ideas or activities or whatnot. But for example, like that ward podcast, that's something I could easily walk away and do. And when maybe you know I can we can call a few people if we want, but that's something that that could take place without a, adding extra burden. To anybody on the word council right but nonetheless liberating those the capable not disenfranchising them saying we don't want to disenfranchise you here what do you have to give right we've made these covenants in the temple time and talents what does that look like in the context of the ward? next thing don't shrink from influence right step forward give your best demand influence is the greater sin aspiring to lead or avoiding influence can one reach for influence without aspiring? Maybe, maybe not, but there's nothing wrong with reaching for influence and making a difference in people's lives. No more pedestals. Analyze the pedestals that we create culturally. Now, you may disagree with with how what perpetuates those, but I don't think anybody intended pedestals to exist. How can we uh, diminish those? would Be worth worth a discussion, right? Next, create more seats at the table. This doesn't mean you call a bunch of random people in to join you for ward council. Obviously, there's certain guidelines of who should be in those meetings or not, but how can you better collect the opinions of the ward so they don't feel disenfranchised? How can you better understand the desires and needs of what people are actually wanting from their religious experience or from their ward experience or their religious community? Figure out how to get more seats at the table by hearing more opinions. We also need more examples of aspiring. Don't pretend like you don't want a calling. When somebody ever comes to me and says, oh, I think you're going to be the next bishop or whatever, don't say, oh, no, that's ridiculous. They're never me. Just say, you know what? I'd be interested to see how I do in that calling. You could say, you know, I welcome the opportunity. If, if that's where the Lord want me to serve, I'd be happy to serve there, right? There's nothing wrong with that desire. We don't have to pretend like we don't want these callings. And of course, we should never demand or campaign or, or try and position ourselves to be the next big guy, right? Or the the next person in formal leadership, but we should always aim to be on the list of consideration that I at least want to be considered. I want to live my life in a way that the opportunity would could possibly consider come my way. Another thought, don't diminish a calling or highlight the sacrifice of the calling. What I mean by that is sometimes as people pick up the, the they they recognize someone has this desire for influence or desire to lead and they'll say something like, oh, if, if you want leadership calling, you deserve it. Or Give him a month as a bishop. That'll teach him. Or sometimes I think these those people need calling so that they see what it's like. See, we sort of think, oh man, these are so hard. And yeah, I got called, and and now you want it, but you don't understand how hard it is that? That doesn't help our religious community. It perpetuates this feeling of like uh, nobody really wants this. Of course we want it. Of course we want to be engaged in the the service of God. Of course we want influence. And as we say these things, I don't think it helps anybody and it makes people feel less than. Callings are actually a remarkable privilege, a remarkable privilege. And I don't know if I'll ever be called as bishop again, but man, I'd love another go at it. You know, Serving as a, as a young bishop, I made a whole lot of mistakes that I could probably be fixed. Now, if they don't call me, that's all right. I can influence other ways. I'll find influence somewhere. But callings are a remarkable opportunity. Never diminish a calling or highlight the sacrifice of being too much of the calling. We know it's hard. We knew it was hard serving a, a mission for two years, but if I could go back in time, I'd do it again, right? When we see the desire for influence as prideful, then it creates a vacuum for only the prideful to fill. Think about that. If we label every desire for influence as prideful, the prideful are the ones that end up having it, generally speaking. Because those who aren't prideful, they don't want to come across as prideful, so therefore they'll act like they don't desire influence. And it disenfranchises them again. And lastly, let's simply destigmatize this idea of aspiring to be wrong. Let's destigmatize it. Yes, it's it's wrong to be to desire or aspire to calling because you are prideful or you're desiring power. That would be wrong. But let's destigmatize this idea in general, because many are feeling it. Many don't want to share it. That one email, right? I think it was from, from David. He's I haven't even shared this desire with my best friend or my wife. But he said it to me, right? Nobody should feel bad for wanting to lead. All right. I appreciate you entertaining my thoughts and perspectives. Again, I may be off my rocker. I may be out of line, but it is worth engaging with this conversation, with this thought, with this idea. Find a group of friends. Next bishopric meeting, whatever. Like Talk about what is this aspiring the concept and, and is it bad? Like, is it always bad? How can we better understand it? Right. I'd love to hear from you if you go to leadingsaints.org contact. You can send your feedback and let me know where I'm am I out of bounds or what spoke to you, what was helpful. If you found this in, this uh, conversation inspiring at all, would you share it with somebody? Pass it on to somebody who maybe would find it inspiring as well. And that could lead to a great discussion between two individuals. I want you to know. I aspire for influence, not because I'm I'm drunk on power or desire it or I'm prideful. I just want a place, a place in the story, story of the building of king, the kingdom of God. And maybe that's not as a general, at the front of the pack or wherever it is, but I will have influence and I'll never apologize for that. And I hope you never apologize for wanting to influence others in the kingdom of God and bringing people to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that aspiration. Again, you can contact me at leadingsaints.org slash contact. Oh boy, you may get a lot of emails for this one, but uh, I'd love to hear them. I want to understand this deeper. Maybe I'm off somewhere. Love to hear it. What other concepts, ideas or thoughts or subjects could we cover that sort of has this heavy cultural feeling, right? That, yeah, on paper it makes sense, but culturally it's just heavy or it's being influenced in, in a way that maybe if we unpack it and look at it straight on, we can diffuse some of these negative cultural concepts in, in our community and uh, and better facilitate the building of the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus Christ. It would be beautiful, right? So go to leading saints dot org slash contact. Send me any information or idea that you have. Love to hear it. It came as a result of the position of leadership, which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought Forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.